trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Yep, this is where we gather to revel in wrong think. And man, does it feel good. Man, is it necessary. Got some great sponsors who make this possible on a daily basis, including HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and Garage Door Pros. Let's bring Eric Peters from Eric Peters Autos on board as we do each Tuesday. Eric, great to catch up with you, man. How are things? I'm good, Brian. Uh, I'm just marveling at the uh, asymptomatic spreading Dr. Fauci's injunction that we needed more stringent measures to oh. stop the spread. I couldn't believe what I was hearing when I caught that. Uh, I caught part of that press conference yesterday and just went, seriously? He's <laughs> saying we should have been much stricter, much uh, been much more aggressive in enforcing masks and social distancing and, and all that. I mean, how do you? Yeah, I mean, how do you? How do you? I mean, this guy... This guy and his acolytes were demonizing people like you and I for not wearing a mask, as they as they describe it, um, because we were asymptomatically spreading and getting granny sick and she's going to die. And now this clown who wore multiple masks and so he says has had multiple jabs has gotten the virus and therefore he was spreading it, actually spreading it. No program attached to him for doing that, though. No, it's uh, it's a very interesting double standard. It's kind of scary from the standpoint that they've learned nothing. They, they, they look at the lives destroyed. They look at the, the inefficiency of the vaccines, the inefficiency of masks, and they want to do it even harder. Where does that come from? Yeah. Well, it's actually because I think they have learned a lot. Uh, I think it just illustrates the fact that they know perfectly well what this is fundamentally all about. And when they say that masks work, they do. It's not in the meaning that most people ascribe to that. Uh, instead, what, what they mean by that is that if they work to divide us, to perpetuate fear, and to empower people like Dr. Fauci. And for that purpose, they work extremely well. I guess I would have to agree. It's, you know, the other thing that strikes me is uh, the Orwellian uh, changing of the definitions of words on the fly. Somebody posted a picture of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a group of people on a soccer field and, and they were moving the goalposts and they're like, oh, look, here's, uh, here, here, here's the government uh, coming up with a new definition for recession for us. It's like, really? Well, they've been at this for some time, but now they're really going for broke. You know, I, I remember ranting as long ago as 25 years ago about the way the DMV, for example, would refer to people who were forced to go there and deal with them as customers. Uh, and that we were making contributions to Social Security. Well, they've really gone all in on it. You know, now uh, they're claiming that vaccines that don't provide immunity are vaccines, which is contrary to every definition of a vaccine that's ever obtained for the past hundred years. And now they're saying that it's not a recession. Uh, what was it the local person said? It was something like a, a transitory period of less than optimal growth, something like that. Wow. I mean, that's a word salad that only a, a true uh, bureaucrat could come up with. Yeah. And they, you know, they, they expect, and I think to some degree are right, in that people will just swallow this. You know, the left has been very, very adroit at using language to further leftism. And the opponents of leftism need to get a clue about that and call them on it every single time, not let them get away with it by simply letting it pass 
and using whatever the word they use happens to be without uh, demanding a precise definition of it and uh, not moving one step further without that conversation having having been uh, undergone. Here, here. Now you work in the medium of words. I mean, you you wordsmith, mm-hmm. you write, you you communicate ideas, and, and I think you of all people probably understand best what why it's so important that we have some precision in our language. We have clarity in what we're trying to communicate, and how dangerous it is when uh, people in authority keep shifting meanings and twisting things to fit whatever agenda they're trying to push at the moment. Yeah, remember the kid's story about Humpty Dumpty. Oh, yeah. And Alice in Wonderland. And Humpty Dumpty would say, a word uh, means whatever I choose it to mean uh, whenever I uh, choose to give it a meaning. You know, and if you if you go along with Humpty, then there is no meaning uh, at all. And it's just a, a, an endless kind of river of changing meanings that you have to try to keep up with. Um, and by, by the exercise of this little con game, these people manage to control the debate and thus control people. Well, and, and the purposes that they're putting this uh, deception to right now seem to be especially, the stakes are higher than I think they've been before. It's not just a matter of, well, you know, politicians trying to cover their butts. Yeah. I mean, they're trying to shoehorn us into something that I don't think any of us would willingly walk into. And, and with that deception, they seem to have, you know, the, the rhetorical cover to keep doing what they're doing. Well, it just shows, you know, actions have consequences. And you and I can go back to the 90s and remember uh, Slick Willie, Bill Clinton, and the whole kerfluffle over uh, uh, Monica Lewinsky and uh, what the definition of sex is. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, what is, is. Remember that? And we let that pass as a country, as a society. And those of us who were uh, angered by it in the sense that we, we, uh, we, we want clear language, we want precise meaning, we want truth uh, to have a discussion, uh, we were derided for insisting, well, you know, that's fatuous, you know, for him to say that he didn't have actual sex because it wasn't a type of sex that he says is the definition of sex. You know, that was the thing that was objected to, but it was portrayed as, oh, you're just a, you're just an old fashioned stick in the mud who has an antiquated sense of uh, sexual morality. No, it wasn't about that. It was about uh, being annoyed at the, at the way the truth was being dragged through the mud. Uh, and manipulated for the sake of keeping that man out of trouble. And we let that pass as a society. And we've let a lot of other things that are similar to that pass. And that is why we find ourselves where we are now. Yeah, I actually had the chance, it was back in like 1999, to talk with a, a French reporter. And uh, and he was just hanging, I was getting some firearms training, and he was hanging out there doing a story. And and at some point, the conversation came up, well, you know, what are the, what do the French think? you know, about uh, the American people. And and his response was, and I had the, you know, disdainful, the spit beforehand, but it was like, we think you people are very stupid. You get so upset because your president has a mistress. All, you know, all of our political leaders have mistresses and you guys are so uptight about inactive sex and blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. I remember trying to explain to him, it's not the, it's not the lurid part that is upsetting to people. It's the idea that the highest office in the land is occupied by someone who lies. And if he lies to his wife mm-hmm. and he lies to, you know, to yeah. the rest of us, what else is he capable of? Sure. And, you know, it's actually, it's, it's more than just lying. It's like this, 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 this refusal to acknowledge a fact, the truth. You know, it, it's not that he was called out on the lie. Like, ah, well, it wasn't really that. It was something else. You know, it wasn't just, no, I didn't do that. No, I didn't do that. It was, ah, you know, you're, you're wrong. It wasn't really what you say it was. And that's what the left has, is, is doing to us now. It's a vaccine, even though it doesn't immunize. 
Right. Yeah, the definition of mRNA vaccines totally has changed. I don't know. I I know this. It takes effort on the part of a person who wants to remain aware of what's happening in the world around them and wants to remain rooted in reality. You have to be willing to exert yourself and think. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be led down some primrose path that's not of your choosing. Well, I think a lot of people are choosing precisely that. I think one of the reasons that the, as they like to call themselves, mainstream, which they're not, because they don't have the audience that they used to have, media, finds itself in such disrepute and finds its audience shrinking. These people are repelled by it. They know that they're, that they're being condescended to. They know that they're being manipulated. They know that these people are just bald-faced liars who are deliberately excluding facts uh, in an attempt to get them to believe things that aren't true. And, you know, when you deal with that on a personal level, you don't want to deal with it. You know, you say, that person's kind of a dirtbag. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're dishonest. I don't want to be around that kind of person. And the same thing is true with the media. The same thing is true with politicians. There's a reason why uh, the Biden thing's approval rating is like, what, 30%? And those are probably all the people who are still wearing their face diapers. Wow. So I have to ask you this. we got about a minute before we go to break. But, mm-hmm. Eric, how do you make sure that, uh, that the information you're taking in is credible? What kind of things do you do to make sure that, that someone's not pulling some rhetorical sleight of hand on you? It's pretty easy. I check it out. I see if the facts support it. You know, if there's evidence to corroborate it, never take anything at face value from anybody. Uh, always look into it yourself and see whether there's substance behind it rather than an assertion. You know, we've got a problem right now of assertions being given the same primacy as a fact. And that thing with the mask is an excellent example. There are, There is no evidence at all that masks work in the medical sense. There's abundant evidence that they do not. So the fact should take precedence over the assertion. And that's one example. Okay. No, I think that's solid. And, and I would recommend for, for you, the listener, uh, maybe take a, an occasional trip over to ericpetersautos.com. You'll find that Eric writes on this as well as many other very interesting topics. And Eric, I'm going to pay you compliments, so don't let your modesty you know, uh, start to ache here. But uh, you, you do a very good job of providing real clarity and, and speaking plainly what you're trying to say without uh, – I, I, I don't think you uh, – I don't think you engage in embellishment in the least. And that's a rare thing to oh, find these days. I, I do my best. And, and, you know, when I'm mistaken, I'll freely and greatly and glad, gladly acknowledge it. Yep. And that's it. It's your humility, which, again, you would never brag about, but I will. All right. We've got to take a quick break. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com okay. is my guest. We'll continue our conversation just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. Eric, you had a recent column that I thought that was really timely, mainly because as I look around, mm-hmm. and particularly as I see the news headlines, I find very little that is encouraging to me, and so I appreciate it when someone can give me some perspective that actually points out some of the good that has come out of some of the more difficult things we've been through over the last couple of years. Definitely. Uh, You know, one of the things I think most of us, I know speaking for myself, uh, it's necessary to guard against during this, uh, this time that we're living in is to get too mired in negativity and cynicism. 
I think that that only serves the purposes of the people who are behind all of this, who want us to be immiserated and want us to be cynical and angry about everything, uh, which, uh, if, which will preclude us from looking at proper solutions. So I thought I'd write about that a little bit, and that's what that piece is about. And you know, I pointed out that as bad as things have been, a lot of things are good. You know, it dovetails on what we were talking about a moment ago. That people, a lot of people, I think more people than ever, are now demanding facts rather than assertions. They want to know, uh, not be told. They are skeptical of what they're being told by the government, by the white coats, by the medical apparatus, by everybody, and that is enormously healthy. You know, it's a way uh, intellectually for people to recover their independence, you know, instead of just sitting there and waiting to be given information, and I put that in their fingers quotes, uh, and then told how they should act on it, they're saying, wait a minute, I'm going to look into this for myself, find out what the straight dope is, and then I will act accordingly, according to my own best judgment. And I think that is a wonderfully good thing. I know you worked within the world of of corporate journalism early on in your career. Probably, I think you, based on the skills that I see that you have, you would have gone very far had you been willing to, uh, how can I put this, sell your soul in a buyer's market? Yeah. (laughs) But you chose not to. I've written about that, actually. I I once had kind of like a Mephistophelian opportunity when I was offered a job at a major big-time newspaper. Uh, to be an editorial writer. And I elected not to do it because I thought, you know, a lot of money, but uh, a lot of ownership. I would have to write what they wanted me to write and pull my punches according to what they thought appropriate. And I just didn't want to do that. And I decided to go my own way. And while I'm not a rich man, I'm a free man. And I can write and I can talk about anything that I'd like to uh, without worrying about whether my paycheck is going to be taken away from me. So I think that that's a really, uh, I think that was a smart move on my part. I encourage others to, to, to do similarly if they can. Yeah, I don't think people, uh, I don't think people realize until they, they stand at that crossroads just how precious it is to be able to really speak your mind and, and to, to not have to, to worry about towing the line. Maybe they appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. And this is something I think you pointed out in, in your article. People who had to put their job on the line. By deciding, yeah. do do I allow an invasive medical procedure? In other words, taking the jab, do I forfeit my bodily autonomy just for the sake of well, I got to keep you know a job, or do I stand firm and uh, and undergo the the difficulty of finding employment elsewhere? Yeah, the trap was very subtle before it was sprung. Now, most people typically go to high school, some go to college, uh, go work for a company. And there was this long-held assumption, and it was a reasonable one. Hey, this is my job. I'm earning a decent living. You know, I can afford my house. I can afford to, uh, to get a new car. Um, I can afford to get a, start a family and raise them. And then they're enmeshed in this. And everything that they have and all the commitments that they made are completely dependent on that corporate job and being able to provide the money to pay all of those bills every month. And when you find yourself in that situation, particularly if you have dependents, if you have a family, you've got a wife and kids, you know, you're, you've got an obligation to care for them. And now you find that really, you know, the only way that you think you can do it uh, is to do whatever these corporations tell you to do. And it's a horrible, horrible thing. And I think a lot of people have, have you know, clued into this and realize it and are figuring out ways to be able to provide for their family without being owned by these big corporations. Well, it's. I was thinking it was going to get easier at some point, but uh, from my vantage point right now, it looks like the difficulty level is still going to be increasing, at least for the time being. What, what's your take? I think it's going to get worse. I think it's going to get worse. It's because this, uh, this deranged, wokest philosophy has now completely saturated corporate America. It's everywhere. 
Uh, you know, just as an example, this is a random thing, but my girlfriend and I were at the supermarket yesterday and we were looking at the Oreos. And uh, there is now a pride Oreo. What? <laughs> yeah. What? It's got the, you know, the filling is the, the filling is the rainbow colors. Ugh. And it's got all the little sayings about inclusion and diversity on the wrap. For Oreos, even a cookie company can't not be involved in this virtue signaling wokeism. So you can only imagine what it would be like to, to work at one of these companies. Yeah, it's, uh, I agree. It's, it's just, it's coming at us from all angles. And, and, and again, looking at the good, okay, that's the bad, but here's the positive. Yep. If you ever wanted to find out what kind of a person you are, am I the kind of person who could be counted on to do the right thing or to stand firm, even when everybody else is uh, saying, hey, look at the emperor's new clothes, I could be the one mm-hmm. who, who could be counted on to be truthful. You're getting that opportunity. Sure, and you're also getting the opportunity to know other people who are like that. That was another thing that I talked about in my article, which is that, you know, you found out where you stood with your family, your friends, the people that you deal with in everyday life. Uh, you, you found out that some of those people who you thought were at least friendly and, you know, people who are uh, not malevolent or, or very badly misguided, in fact, are. And they were the people who kicked you out of the store for not putting a mask on, who demanded that you take a jab, else be fired. All these people that you had chit-chatted with in a very friendly manner around the water cooler, not so much. But now you know, and that knowledge is very empowering. Agreed. And I think this has also helped some of the people who were sitting on the fence about, uh, you know, whether uh, whether I should trust experts in government or out of government, you know, whether I should just go ahead and outsource most of the thinking uh, to, to the experts. You've had a really yeah. good opportunity, a great uh, object lesson in why that's not a good idea, Dr. Fauci being Exhibit yeah. A. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, it's a question of whether are they merely incompetent or are they malicious? You know, I think it's a combination of both. I think in the case of Fauci, the man is malicious. I don't think he's stupid. I think he's malicious. I'd go even farther. I think he's evil. I think a lot of the people higher up the food chain are evil. Yeah, there's a, there's a level of deception that seems to come through loud and clear. When I, when I see Dr. Fauci speaking, maybe you caught uh, Dr. Deborah Burks. Uh, she was openly admitting on Fox News. Yes, we yep. misled people about the vaccine. We may have overstated, you know, how well it was going to protect them. And, I mean, she's she's speaking truthfully, but the stuff she's saying is what was getting people canceled just a, a short year ago. Yeah, and there's, there's an obscene aspect to it because the people who got canceled never hurt anybody. They, they never caused the death of anybody. The people like Burks and Fauci uh, and the people behind Pfizer I and mean, all of these people, they have hurt people, thousands of people. They have killed people as a result of these quack scenes that they have pushed into people's arms. That is obscene. It is evil. It is something that demands recompense. And I, you know, I think that until we can figure out a way to do that, uh, this canker sore is going to continue to afflict this country. Yep. Well, I, I have to tell you that uh, there, there are some positive things. Um, I think becoming more self-reliant will help you see the positive. I'll, I'll share some of my happy news. I found three eggs today. My chickens finally started Excellent. laying. Excellent. And how were they? Um, well, I haven't cooked them yet. I th- This is the only oh. downside is my chickens are laying in some place other than the uh, brood box <laughs> that yeah. I've set up for them. Yeah. They're, they're, I, I give my chickens some pretty free reign to, to roam the yeah. yard and to be happy and to, to do their things. So I'm going to have to see if I can train them to lay eggs where they're supposed to. But there's something that that happens when you are cooperating with nature. I provide shelter. I provide food and water for them. And um, frankly, I kind of like hanging out with them. In return, they provide mm-hmm. me with a source of uh, nutrition. I like that. 
yes, a very healthy source of nutrition too. So, you know, it's a double. Uh, you know, you have your food under your control and your food is better than it would be if you bought food that was under the control of somebody else, like a big corporation. Here, here. Eric, tell people where they can find your website. Sure. It's uh, epautos.com. Pretty straightforward. And the site hopefully is self-explanatory. There are all kinds of different uh, categories there for uh, a variety of different interests. And if anybody has a question about anything at all, you know, there's a little button at the, at the end of every article that they can click on. Send me a question and I'll do my best to answer it as quickly as I can. Excellent. Eric, I love catching up with you each week. Keep the faith, brother, and uh, let's talk again next Tuesday. Sounds good. Thank you, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a shout out here to Garage Door Pros. This is a local company to my listeners in the southwest corner of Utah, including St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona. And if you are uh, in need of garage door repair or maybe you need to have one installed or replaced or your building, hey, now that's a that's a fun position to be in. Whether we're talking residential or commercial, you need to talk to my friends at Garage Door Pros. You can go to the website garagedoorproservices.com or pick up the phone and call 435-525-2773. We're talking a local company. They can install, they can service, they can repair your garage doors. And I would encourage you, click on the link, go to their website, look at the reviews that their customers have left. And I think you're going to see there's a, there's a very key difference in how they take care of their customers. Something that will work very much in your favor. And by the way, Seth, who is the owner of Garage Door Pros, I'm going to have him on the show here very soon. He has interesting stories to tell, not so much about garage doors, but just about Life in general. Well, life itself seems to be getting pretty interesting these days, right? I mean, you wouldn't know it from what you see in your local grocery store. But the world is facing a man-made food catastrophe. Now, I don't tell you this to, to make you afraid. But it's the kind of thing you really wouldn't want to ignore. Or, you know, just push out of sight, out of mind. Okay, well, whatever. You know, I don't really want to think about this got a great article from the Brownstone Institute. This is by Carla Peters. I'm guessing she must hail from Holland because of the spelling of her name. But the article's titled, No Farmers, No Food, No Life. And if you recall, there's a a lot of stuff going on right now where Dutch farmers are uh, drawing the line against some really just insane government policies looking to put them out of business. Carla Peters says the world is now facing a man-made food catastrophe. In fact, she says it's reaching crisis levels. Current policies in many parts of the world place a priority on climate change for realizing a Green New Deal. Meanwhile, these policies will contribute to children dying from severe malnutrition due to broken food systems with shortages of food and water, stress, anxiety, fear, and dangerous chemical exposure. And more negative pressure on farmers and the food system is simply asking for a catastrophe. And something she points out here, and I think this is, this is actually a good connection to make. 
the immune system of many people, especially children, has lost its resilience and has been weakened with far, far, too far rather with high risks for intoxication, infections, non-communicable and infectious diseases, deaths, and infertility. So Dutch farmers, many of whom will face a cost of living crisis after 2030, have actually drawn the line. This is the protest that you may or may not be hearing about in the mainstream media. It doesn't really fit the narrative of everything's great and, you know, we're just resetting the world and, you know, the Green New Deal needs to go through and we're saving the planet. But it's happening. They are protesting and I think rightly so. And here's the key. They're also supported by an increasing number of farmers and citizens worldwide. Now, it's not farmers who are the most heavy polluters of the environment, says Carla Peters. But industries who make the products needed for a technocracy revolution to green energy, data mining, and artificial intelligence. In fact, as more of the World Economic Forum plans are rolled out by politicians, inequalities grow and conflicts are rising all over the world, almost as if that was the plan. She says the farm, the strong farmers result, revolt rather in the Netherlands is a call for an urgent transition to a people-oriented, free and healthy world with nutritious food cultivated and harvested in respect to natural processes. And the cooperation of ordinary people worldwide is on the rise to prevent a mass famine catastrophe caused by the plan of scientism and technocracy to rule and control the world by unelected scientists and elites. Now, she goes into some pretty great detail in this, uh, in this article. And, and one of the points she makes is there is enough food to feed the world. Farmers around the world grow uh, enough food to support a world population of 9 to 10 billion people worldwide. So why is it over 828 million people each day have too little to eat? And the problem is access to food. And oftentimes that access is hampered or sometimes limited by government. So with global prices of food and fertilizers already reaching worrying highs and, of course, the continuing impacts of the pandemic, the political forces to realize climate change goals, and, of course, the Russia-Ukraine war are raising some very serious concerns for food security, both in the short and long term. Uh Carla Peters says the world is facing a further spike in food shortages right now, pushing more families worldwide at risk for severe malnutrition. And those communities which survived former crises are left more vulnerable to a new shock than before and will accumulate the effects diving into famine, meaning acute starvation and a sharp increase in mortality. Now, she spells out a lot of the reasons why this is happening. But she also points out something that I think goes overlooked, and that is malnutrition is responsible for more ill health than any other cause. Something to keep in mind. And famines actually don't just damage, you know, the generation that's going through it, but they can actually have transgenerational effects. So she is uh, laying out a pretty dire picture. I'll admit it. It made me nervous reading this because... It brings into focus a lot of the things that I've seen or even kind of suspected or felt like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm seeing this taking place. But she puts it into some pretty stark detail and points out that the conflicts are growing worldwide. This increases instability. And I guess the good news on the one hand is 
Citizens will no longer accept policies without some clear harm-cost-benefit analysis. People are pushing back, and that's good. But the time to act is right now to decrease those food and fuel prices, support farmers, support local agriculture, become self-reliant. I This is the one that gets me is... Most of us have the capacity we could be producing at least a portion of what we eat. Maybe a large portion. Why don't we do it? I mean, look, I know what my answer is because it's a lot easier to get in the car and go to Costco or go to the grocery store and get what I want. And it's abundant. To look at the grocery stores, to look at Costco or Sam's Club right now, nobody is going to get the feeling that, well, you know, we are on the precipice of a real emergency. And I suspect it's going to be that way right up until that emergency drops. By the way, I'm not wishing for it. I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think it's cool. All right, finally, the end times are on us. (laughs) It's, It's really, it's very daunting to even consider. But I'm pleading with you. Take the time to get some food stores put away. Take the time to learn how to grow your own food. Pay attention to what's going on around us and do everything in your power to have the ability to be self-reliant. But personally, this, this is my take for what it's worth, and, and maybe this is just my tinfoil hat is too tight, but I think that to, the reasoning behind so many of these crises and so many of these shortages that are coming about and, and you know, the, the crackdown on farmers and the eco, what would we call it? Eco-tyranny that, that's being foisted on us from above particularly in Europe, in Canada, and coming soon to the U.S., is a desire to make people as dependent as possible on their respective governments. And I don't think it's out of a benevolent, uh, well, you know, we just, we really want to take care of you. We're concerned for you. We want to be sure that you and your kids are being provided for. I think it's more from a standpoint of, we will maintain our power over you. You will do what we say. And to make sure that you do what we say, we're going to hold that ultimate uh, trump card, which is, do you want to eat or not? I mean, you know, how long till we go the Chinese route, right? With, with drones flying overhead, reminding us, please contain your urge to be free. Welding people into their apartments. I only wish I was joking. I mean, you know, exaggeration is, is sometimes a fun way to make a point. But that stuff literally happened. Yeah, there's some there's some pretty uh, pretty dark forces at work today. And if there's a bright spot in this, it's the good news that you and I are at least awake and aware. We can see what's going on, and that means that we have options. Right now, we have the opportunity to prepare, but I don't know how long that window is going to remain open. I know there are people who are trying very hard to slam it shut. I know that if you do... Uh, take steps to be as self-reliant as you can. And and you do exercise that prerogative to say, no, thank you. I don't need your help. I don't need your jab. I don't need your coercion. Yeah, you are the one who's treated like an extremist. All I can say is you're in good company. There may be very few of us, but uh, I'd rather be with very few people who understand right from wrong and understand what their principles are than to run f- the, you know swiftly with the masses who are being herded over the over the cliff this 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. I'd like to give a shout out to HSLAmmo.com. Yes, indeed. This is uh, high quality, new and remanufactured ammunition. And it is a great way for you to develop skill at arms. In fact, it's really, I, I think it was Boston Tea Party who wrote that ammo is how you convert money into skill. And skill at arms is a good thing. It brings peace of mind. It brings the knowledge that, hey, in the worst case, I can take care of myself or I can provide for my own security. That gives you options that uh, other people are not going to have if that time should come that they need to protect themselves or their loved ones. HSLAmmo.com, I've got a link to their website. I hope you'll consider doing business with them, not just so you can go have some fun at the range, but also so that you can gain that skill at arms, be a responsible gun owner. As we saw a couple of weeks ago in Indiana, responsible gun owners can actually make quite a difference. All right, couple things to touch on here in this uh, final segment. I want to talk to you just a little bit about uh, when you hear politicians lament that something or another is threatening our democracy. I think we've heard this a lot from the January 6th committee. You can know with certainty what they're really afraid of is it's that they're, it's their power that they're afraid of losing. Not democracy, but power. And last week we talked about, uh, you know, cacistocracy. Dan Sanchez introduced us to that term. Got a great follow-up article here from Gary M. Gallas from the American Institute for Economic Research, AIER.org. And he walks us through the process by which we went from republic to democracy to cacistocracy. He says, at the end of the Constitutional Convention, when Benjamin Franklin was asked what form of government the delegates had given America, his words were, a republic if you can keep it. And that answer from a still esteemed founder is particularly noteworthy in our current political environment. Gary Gallus says praise is heaped on democracy while almost no one uses the word republic anymore, much less how a republic is different from a democracy and can in fact be overridden by its democratic elements. Further, as uh, Leonard Reed warned us nearly half a century ago, the differences have turned our democracy into a cacistocracy. Now, that word is virtually unknown, but defining it seems the best place to start the discussion. Leonard Reed defined it as government by the worst men. Perhaps echoing Friedrich Hayek's Why the Worst Get on Top, Chapter 10 in his famous The Road to Serfdom. With a hat tip to James Russell Lowell's 1876 version, a government for the benefit of knaves at the cost of fools. So how do we get from a republic to a democracy, and how does democracy become a cacistocracy during a period when democracy is so highly praised? Well, Gary Gallus says democracy does play a role in a republic, as citizens may democratically determine the agents who are to represent them in government. That probably accounts for a good part of people's current confusion between the two terms. But in a constitutional republic, more important than democratic selection are the constitutional limits on what our political agents are empowered to decide. They're only authorized to act for us in areas delegated to them. In contrast, the term democracy leaves undefined what issues are to be decided by majority rule. But democratically deciding issues that citizens have not delegated to government 
overstepping the legitimate boundaries of a constitutional republic, and there are many such issues, harms Americans more than it helps. And the possibility of controlling and benefiting from that destructive process is the impetus that leads to cacistocracy. Gary Gallus says to best understand the limits of our constitutional republic, we should turn to English philosopher John Locke's second treatise on government. Because it's been said that Jefferson's Declaration of Independence succeeded admirably in condensing Locke's fundamental argument into a few hundred words. Locke posited that the end of the law is to preserve and enlarge freedom from restraint and violence by others. So he proposed a state's existing to advance the welfare of all its citizens, the plain meaning of advancing the general welfare, as the only type of government all members of a society would voluntarily join. What could a government restricted to solely advancing citizens' general welfare or achieving more of what citizens agreed on than they could do for themselves do? Only one essential thing deriving from individuals' natural rights to themselves and their productive efforts, better defending citizens and their property. Self-ownership is limited in effectiveness because an individual defending his rights against violation could be overwhelmed by a superior force. Therefore, the preservation of property being the end of government and that for which men enter society, joining together to jointly defend everyone's property, would make all more secure expanding the consequent voluntary arrangements which immensely benefit every one of us. But Gary Gallus asks, why is the list of Lockean government activities so short? Though not as short as it appears at first glance, glance rather, as it includes national defense, protecting us and our property from foreign attack, as well as providing police, courts, and prisons, protecting us from our neighbors' assaults on us and our property. Well, he says, in a nutshell, It's because we would normally do better for ourselves with our own resources than government would do for us with those resources. Reflecting the facts that we know more about ourselves than those in government, we care more about ourselves than those in government, and we're not allowed to coerce others to bear the costs of what we want, unlike government. Only in areas where the benefits requiring coercion, that's government's only comparative advantage, to achieve are large enough to overcome government's huge defects... (coughs) In advancing our joint interests, can government for the people be justified? Put another way, government actions that go beyond better defending the rights of all must benefit some at the expense of others. And since, in Locke's words, the supreme power cannot take from any man any part of his property without his own consent, whenever that limit is violated by this breach of trust, they forfeit the power the people had put into their hands for quite contrary ends. Now, there's much more to this article, but I'm going to let you discover it on your own. But this is a very strong case that our government is, in fact, a cacistocracy. It is government by the worst. And frankly, you know, if you can stomach being on Twitter for a while, you would see that, uh, yeah, there's plenty of evidence of this. Now, rather than sit home and just obsess and gripe and complain about it, I think what this means is you and I have a decision to make. Because after all, we do have the opportunity to either give or to withhold our consent to such individuals. Oh, I know, we can't escape it perfectly, right? The IRS is reaching right into your paycheck every time you get paid. They, they are a part of your life. But there are many ways in which you can turn your back on those in power and withdraw that consent. It's going to look different for each one of us. We each have a little 
a little bit different uh, comfort threshold. But I really like what uh, the, the concept of agorism teaches, and that is reducing your governmental footprint. One of the best things I've heard is just stop asking for permission for everything. I think that's pretty sound advice. All right, one final thought here. If you want to think like an economist, that's good. Not because it's going to make you the life of the party, but because it will help you better understand how the world works and, more importantly, what it is that drives decision-making among human beings. You'll also gain a much deeper appreciation of the free market. I'm going to include a link to an article from Ninos P. Malik from the Foundation for Economic Education, eight ideas that will teach you to think like an economist. Why would you want to think like an economist? Because sound economic thinking is vital for a prosperous future. After all, economics is the study of human action, the choices people make in a world of scarcity. Scarcity means people have unlimited wants, but we live in a world of limited resources. And because of this fact, we have to make choices, and those choices imply trade-offs. Ninos Malik says, These choices that people make are influenced by the incentives they face, and those incentives are shaped by the institutions or rules of the game under which people live and interact with others. And he gives eight really great economic rules and ideas, like there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, which will teach you the difference between price and cost. Actions matter more than statements. The sunk cost fallacy, or don't cry over spilt milk, rather. Uh, Trade-offs, learning to think at the margin. Some of these terms may not be familiar, but you'll quickly pick up, and these are good explanations. How about comparative advantage? Ability to do something doesn't mean that one should do it. Supply and demand, understanding how prices work. Here's the fixed pie fallacy. Voluntary exchange is win-win, which creates a bigger pie. And then uh, this is probably the one that we really need to apply the most. And that's the good intentions fallacy because government always has good intentions, right? Only the best intentions, but don't forget about the unseen costs. This is pretty easy reading. It's, it's not as in depth as, uh, who was it? Uh, economics in one lesson. I want to say Hazlitt wrote that one. Definitely worth your while though. Learn to think like an economist. You won't be right all the time, but you'll be wrong a lot less often. This is The Brian Hyde Show.